It's the most Baskerville time of the year. <laughs> of course you do. When newspaper letters and lyceer batters make you a small cheer. It's the most Baskerville time of the year. <laughs> it's the spook spookiest season yep. of all. With murderers <laughs> fleeing and queer anxious feelings at Baskerville Hall. It's the spook spookiest season of all. There'll be mysteries for solving and plotlines resolving with little denouement in store. There'll be scary ghost doggies and stinky sink boggies that claim all the souls on the moor. It's the most Baskerville time. Yes, the most Baskerville time. Oh, the most Baskerville time of the year. Oh! Amazing. I feel like I had to howl for that one. Yeah. I told you I was wrong. I was working on nothing but a hound dog for about a 20 minutes portion of my drive today because I forgot it was your turn. But Another excellent choice. I, yeah, it took me four days of almost not stop. What am I? I also was working with something. Uh, it's the hound, hound, baby, hound, hound of the Baskervilles, baby. But I didn't know any more lyrics. You of could the do song, Who Let the so. Hounds Out. I feel like that could be pretty fun. I think that, yeah. I did too, but also, again, I didn't know enough of That's the lyrics. True. And I felt like. As a white guy doing reggae, it's songs, really a one-off probably... joke. You can't really like bring longevity yeah. into the whole song on that one. Right. I was on trickier footing than uh, Stapleton in the Moors of hey! Baskerville. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome we back did around. it. We brought it back around. <laughs> the Studying Granada Biweekly Podcast, where I, Mike Noah, fan but not expert of the Sherlock Holmes canon in the 1980s Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick television series, have hoodwinked my friend Jackson F1 into watching the show with me. We read the stories and we talk about it. Jackson, welcome to the finale of season four. We did it. We're almost there. Yeah. I say like, it, like I don't enjoy it, but we're over the halfway point here as we mm-hmm. let the dogs out. <laughs> we did it. We brought it back again. Good job. And we're kind of to the most, I guess, if you ask someone like, hey, name a Sherlock Holmes story, they're probably going to say Hannah the Baskervilles. It is probably the most iconic, like, referenced one uh, or that people would just know without knowing anything about Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. But we aren't here alone at the finale. We came in with a guest. We're going out with a guest. We're joined this week by co-host of the Not Another Film Podcast, co-writer and director of The Vanishing Act, a very good narrative podcast you can find everywhere podcasts are found. We're joined by Lauren Grace Thompson. Lauren, welcome to the study. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. This came about as you and your co-host Ian guested on my other podcast, Equalizers, for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to the League of yes. Superlative Gentle People. And as I mentioned this podcast in the plugs, you gripped both arms of your chair and almost stood up so entirely. <laughs> so we had to get you on. It seemed like the hound was the oh. perfect opportunity yeah. to bring in a guest. Uh, normally we ask our guests why they chose this episode, because usually we let them pick. But... I kind of was like, hey, do you want to mm-hmm. do this one? I think you gave me four so, options, and I was like, any of them. I'll take anything. <laughs> Put me wherever you need. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to get this one. We saved you from Wisteria Oof. Lodge, which is... Oh, howdy. It's a very but, slow one. Ponderous. <laughs> ponderous, <laughs> yes. Racist. That's you. But we're here for the Hound. No need to dwell mm-hmm. on Wisteria Lodge. Are you... Familiar with this story? I, I mean, like, read it, loved it before, or like myself, you hadn't really read it before? I now. have. I had read it before. I think I was reading yeah. through the stories and watching the Granada series around the same time when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. This was, like, my Sherlock Holmes adaptation when I was growing up. So and when I went into my, like, deep Sherlock Holmes fixation when I was, like, 
12. I would like read one and then I would watch it. And this was, this was one. I, I did read the whole thing. I watched it. I, I love it. it. I think it was like, I'm trying to remember the ones that like really stick in my brain. And it's, it's moments from this one that, that just live and will live forever in my brain. Like the moment at the end when he's getting sucked into the, the quicksand on the moors and like the, the mud is oh, going yeah. into his mouth. I think that that is yeah, yeah I upsetting. think that as an actor was when I truly understood dedication to the craft because I was just like that's commitment D- yeah exactly it's just like really <laughs> stuck in my brain and it is yeah mouth. exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I'm super familiar with this I actually just um, just reread Hound of the Baskervilles a couple months ago because Ian my, my writing partner and I are sort of developing something that is Sherlock Holmes adjacent so we're doing some like research on just like mystery structure and like the time period so really just kind of immersing ourselves in that and it's it's always really great to come back to these to just like see a well-plotted mystery of like when clues are are laid out so i love this one for us it's also a refreshing change as we did the sign of four and then this one we saved both the movies (laughs) for the end and this was a this wasn't necessarily a season for well-paced mysteries i mean one jeremy brett's getting iller and iller as the episodes go on and also a lot of these are what we call the 50 minute problem Mm -hmm. of like 30 minute episode would have mm-hmm. been great but 50 minutes there's lingering shots of trees yeah. or like a train or whatever like we have to also a lot of the classic mirror shots yeah. but mm-hmm. um i never read this before jackson i don't know i assume you probably haven't either i think for you and i we have the same level of exposure where the, our reference point is friend of the show maya uh showed us a three-man production of hound of the baskerville that was a stage <sighs> show it's on youtube where the lead actor who plays Holmes has a very thick Spanish accent and they play it for a goof where they come back from intermission. He says they got a complaint letter. So they do the entire first half again in 10 minutes. Uh, it's <laughs> deeply good, but also a very wild, this is my reference yeah. point for the one of the <laughs> it's, I'm sure it's not exactly the most faithful adaptation of the, of the source material. It's honestly it's surprisingly I'll pretty take faithful. It. Imagine if you picked like the, like, <clears throat> most important 10 lines from I don't know A Christmas Carol and you like you got to you managed to hit every single one of those lines not the most roundabout kind of like a roundabout way but you still yeah. got there it'd be kind of that kind of thing you know alright alright I can get down for that it's also it's very funny because obviously it's three people playing like a dozen roles so is it but, like Holmes Watson uh, one, and one dude very... who plays everyone else or uh, it's actually mostly because Holmes is barely in this one the guy who plays Holmes plays most of the other people. It's uh, Sir Henry Watson, Holmes, and then the guy who plays Holmes is most of the rest oh, of the wow. people. Oh, wow. I love um, that. There's a decent amount of, like, uh, if Holmes has to be in a scene where someone else is also going to have to be there, like, people, like, oh, Holmes, uh, do you mind checking on the thing outside? Oh, yeah, I'll check on the thing outside. Oh, hey, Henry yeah. just oh. walked in. Oh, I left my coat outside. Hey, I'm Which, Holmes again. Oh, I'm watching you know, this tonight. Kind of oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll see if we can find a link. We'll send it to you. We can post the link as well. I love that. I love found object theater. I love a quick change. Like, I love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One point, I think, I I don't remember, so I'm not going to promise this. I do think at one point it is the split down the middle. One side is one costume, one side is the other. That might be a thing. I I might be misremembering. Like, it is very good. And again, almost every character in this has a thick Spanish accent because that guy is everyone. It's great. But we're not here to talk about that. (laughs) Although we could be. We could be. We may do that for a bonus episode. We'll see. Mm. We are here, though, to talk about the Jeremy Brett, Edward Hart account of the Baskerville. Uh, so we'll start with the synopsis. Uh, is this 
the whole synopsis. Yes, Jackson. Hey, Lauren, oh as our guest, do you want to read it? Where is this at the bottom? Uh, just oh. scroll down. Yeah, scroll down under the talking points oh, and stuff. Oh wow. Okay, <laughs> that's it. A cold read. I was not We've expecting this. Done this. <laughs> that's fine. We've never done this to any other guests, also. So I'm sorry. Okay. Oh wow. There are some words in here that I don't think that's a word. Um. Okay. Did the extremely wealthy and charitable Charles Baskerville die of a heart attack or by an infernal creature? Indeed, according to an old legend, a de- demonic, I think that's demonic, demonic hound killed the pervert and cruel Hugo Baskerville and would hunt down all his descendants. As soon as he arrived in London, Sir Henry Baskerville, heir to the deceased, received an anonymous letter urging him not to join his estate at Dartmoor, where he was in danger of death. But Sir Henry decided to go beyond this, and Holmes, detained in London, entrusted him to Watson's vigilant guard, which he charged who he which, I'm just gonna read uh-huh. it, which he charged with faithfully uh-huh. reporting everything that would happen to him. Watson's zeal and bravery will not be superfluous as mysteries and dangers hang over Baskerville lands. Beryl Stapleton, courted by Sir Henry, fears for him an unknown and fatal danger and an escaped assassin, that's not true, haunts the moor where the butler of Baskerville Hall sends disturbing light signals while a mysterious creature moans lugubriously. (laughs) But Holmes resurfaces in time to discover that Jack Stapleton, Charles's unknown nephew, is using the legend to usurp his uncle's fortune. Thwarting his criminal machinations, Holmes and Watson will will save Henry <laughs> in yep. extremis, and Stapleton will have the end he deserves. Ooh. So many shift changes. Ooh, I love baby. it. I just, the hound killed the pervert and cruel Hugo Baskerville. I mean, it's not wrong. Like, the assassin one definitely yeah. is wrong. But that one's like, right. I mean, he, he, he was not a great guy, admittedly. Yeah. I'm not sad to see him torn apart by like, a hound. Like, really, the that's, initial that's killing by the hound, totally justified, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. It's when we get past that that the legend's like, okay, maybe a little, a little overboard. Right. I mean, I'm sure some of them deserved it. They were English <laughs> yeah. lords uh, at this point in history. I'm sure You're they were English not great English millionaires in the 1800s. Sure, they were good <laughs> <Right>. dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, all of them. Look. They worked hard for that money. They earned it. It's their ancestral land. It's fine. God gave them yes. that land. I will say the story goes to great pains to make sure that we know that uh, there's like a long history of the like lords uh, doing a lot of charity work <laughs> and all that stuff, yeah. which is not enough. But uh, like on the sliding scale of lords, they're slightly better, I guess. But also, if your charity falls apart the second you die and stop giving money to it, then it was not good charity, and you weren't like building strong community structures so they're like well sir charles was trying to help this lady get a divorce so like that's good enough (laughs) he helped her get a job as a typist he's a good man i do like how and we'll have episodes or stories like the solitary cyclist where a young woman's like look i'm being followed on a bike and it's weird and it's like oh cool that one is terrifying i'm terrified of that. oh yeah so scary and he's immediately like, I'm in. You're immediately, we know you're a good person. You're fine. Every time it's a rich lord, it's like, okay, but he gives money to charity and he adopted nine orphans. And also he, I don't know, like gave, got them jobs in parliament. So they're good now. It's fine. He's a good guy. I promise. I promise. It's cool. It is very like, 
how many hoops Doyle jumps through to be like, he's everybody should like this guy. Mm-hmm. I promise you. I mean, this far he went as far as to be like, oh, he's American, so he hasn't done anything bad. Like, <laughs> he's not been, well, wah, he's not been wah. in the country. He can't have been an ancestral lord. He's American. <laughs> the Americans have never uh, done anything wrong ever. We're ten for ten, baby. <laughs> I, think, I think the peak of this is a, a sign that uh, some incredibly rich dude's kid got kidnapped and Holmes is like, "Hi, I well, like give me six million dollars." <laughs> I'll tell you what the child is. God, the prior school's wild. Uh, so I want to start at the beginning, which makes sense, with as I phrase it, the orbital burn mm-hmm. of John Watson, <laughs> where he asks him, "Like, hey, Watson, what do you think about this cool stick?" And Watson goes through, like, a series of deductions that sound good. And Holmes, I'll put the clip in here. It may be that you are not yourself, luminous, but you are a conductor of light. Some people without possessing genius have a remarkable power for stimulating it. I, I confess that, my dear fellow, I am very much in your debt. Thank you. But I am afraid that most of your conclusions were erroneous. Essentially, though, he's just like, you know, Watson, some people aren't geniuses, but by being around, they make geniuses smarter. And that's you. And you were so wrong about all of that. <laughs> and it's just this like one breath. This, and Watson looks so happy for most of it, not realizing the absolute burn that's happening. I right would now. argue that for Holmes, this is a compliment. I think that yeah, this I mean, is. I think he yeah, means it I think as a it's, compliment. it's, you know. You know you're so wrong, but you that makes me be writer, and so you're val I value you. Like at the core of it, it's I value you and your place in my life, which I think if you've been with yeah. Holmes this long, you know is is definitely a compliment and a burn at the same time. It's the only compliment he can give. I was just say. Watson's face falls hard <laughs> enough at the end that I don't know if he picked up that mm-hmm. it was both. I think he's suddenly realizing, <laughs> wait, what was that? <laughs> but I'm sorry, repeat. I that? don't disagree with you. <laughs> well, you see, Watson, my deductive process is I ask you a question, and whatever you say cannot be true, so therefore everything else must be. I improvise a deduction to prove you wrong, no matter what you say. I love it in the book, because there's an added layer in the book that doesn't make it to, to this particular adaptation, where he gives Watson the chance to to solve it, to be like, oh, tell me what this is, and Watson says, and he's wrong. And then Holmes is like, you're wrong. This is the correct answer. And then when Mortimer comes in, Holmes is like, it was this, right? And Mortimer's like, no, it was this. <laughs> and so they were both wrong. And I really mm-hmm. like that detail of like, where he's like, ah, crap. <laughs> well, you can't win them all. Mm-hmm. And like Holmes was closer, but still like things that he missed mm-hmm. out on that are important. Yeah, it's like, they didn't give me for my um, retirement. It was for my wedding. And he's like, ah. Like, once again, Holmes misses out on the fact that people can fall in love, which is, like, a running Mm -hmm. thread that I like a lot. Yeah, I love that for him. He puts Dr. Mortimer's picture in the picture frame next to Irene Adler. (laughs) He thwarted me again. He got me. Dang it. (laughs) Uh, But no, I I don't have much else beyond that. I just love that bit and how absolutely proud Edward Hardwick looked Mm -hmm. as Watson during the whole, like, you're not a genius, but you make my genius brighter by not being a genius. Anyway, all of that was wrong. <laughs> uh, while we're in that first scene, do we want to talk about uh, the doctor showing up and being like, hey, Holmes, can I measure your yeah. skull? Can I get a cast of it I until the original becomes available? Your skull. <laughs> can I touch your parietal bone or whatever? He's like, can I just get my fingers <laughs> up on that skull? Just get my fingers on your head. 
Jackson and I watched this together for the first time we saw it, and I was just like, they're flirting. This mm-hmm. is flirting. <laughs> Dr. Mortimer is trying he it off. He brought his cute and... little dog, and he's shooting his shot. <laughs> well, it, but my favorite Wouldn't part you? is the way Holmes is like mm-hmm. laughing is almost like his version of like, oh, stop it. Oh, no. It's like, <laughs> it's like stop, stop. <laughs> Would you have any objection to my running my finger along your parietal physio? Please, Dr. Mortimer. A cast of your skull, sir, until the original becomes available. <laughs> it is not my intention to be fulsome, but I confess, I covet your skull. Don't stop. Go on. Yeah. I, I love that Jeremy Brett leans into that, though. It's one of my favorite things about his Holmes is that he just thrives under praise. And I think that that's, that's why, like, that's what this show understands about the Holmes-Watson dynamic that I really love. That, like, Watson is so good at giving, like, verbal affirmation of his genius. And Holmes is like, oh, my God, no one's ever said a nice thing to me before. You're my best friend in the whole world. I've immediately imprinted on you like a baby duck. We're soulmates. My last best friend was Lestrade, and you see how he treats me. If you step up for me, I am never letting you go, sir. If you die, it's Mrs. Hudson. She's next. She's the only other person who doesn't yell at me. I just love them. I love them. All of England. God, I love them so much. Uh, we've talked extensively about why we like Holmes and Watson mm-hmm. in this franchise, and it is because like they actually seem like they would in mm-hmm. our friends. Mm-hmm. It's not one of them consistently yelling at the other one yeah, for being it's an not, asshole. And it's not like the modern version, I feel like, that pop culture has of like male friends where they have to be. <laughs> like As much as we just talked about like Holmes like burning the crap out of Watson, they're not... <laughs> yeah. Even that's fond... And so I I love that they genuinely like each other, have a warmth for each other, and you can tell that there's love there. Um, I was, like, rewatching a lot of these, like, last year when I was home, and I was texting Ian, and I would just, like, text him screenshots or, like, gifts from this and just be like, <laughs> we could never be them. <laughs> I was just like, they are goals. Like, whether it's, it's like, you're a couple, your best friends, like platonic soulmates whatever i'm just like they're goals in every single way they love each other so mm-hmm. much and they get each other and it's just like the companionship is so palpable that i i just adore them in every way and we do like get to see them actually like hanging out beyond just the cases like i like that we like, go to the opera mm-hmm. or like go to like a barbershop oh the barbershop scene's my favorite i love that <laughs> <laughs> david burke yes. so cute <laughs> so good oh i, david I love him so much I mean, speaking of David Burke, we do talk about mm-hmm. in um, the Solitary Cyclist. Actually, they have a marital mm-hmm. spat in the Solitary, where Watson is on the wrong mm-hmm. side of the road, doesn't follow the cyclist, and he's like, "Yeah, I knew all that. You should have gone to the public house." And Watson's kind of pissy about it. And then later, Holmes is going to leave or go somewhere, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't need you. It wouldn't be useful or relevant for you to be with me." And walks out, and Watson's like, mm, "Maybe you should go to the public house." And Holmes is <laughs> there, and goes, "What a great idea!" Like he can't come back. And like under his breath, Burke's like, "Yeah, maybe we should go to the public house, Watson." Home, I don't know. <laughs> like they have oh marital gosh, spats yeah. and it's amazing. I, I love both Watsons, but I have like David Burke owns my heart. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. he's just full of sunshine. We are we are famously a pro oh, David yeah. Burke. House he's like here. the original hype man, <laughs> right? Like he enters every room and he's like, "Look at my best friend. He's amazing. <laughs> Look at him." <laughs> in the Dancing Men, they show up and the Elsie Cubitt's shot herself and the guy thinks they're Dr. Corners or whatever. And Wallace is like, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> How like, dare this... you, sir? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, do- I'm a doctor, sure. You got lucky there, but this is Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Go ahead, Jackson. You're, I think you're trying to bring us back on point. Oh, um, 
at some point, uh, so in the text version of that scene, we like we have more dialogue about the skull, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, like, uh, which is relevant to the case because um, Doctor, what's his bucket, Doctor McSkulls, um, is like, uh, I wrote a paper on atavism that got me a lot of praise or whatever, which is uh, the uh, evolutionary thing of like reverting to a prior like prior state. Which is foreshadowing for how later on we see how um, uh, the the bad guy, the the Baskerville for this episode, like is a like a flashback to an ancestor of the Baskerville house. So it was like they kind of had a bit of they cut a line that was actually really important from the book from this episode. I'm kind of sad about that. They do the whole thing with the rigmarole of Holmes, uh, like staying in London and then bivouacking in the moors and telling nobody. Um, but they don't spend a lot of time exploring like what happened with the boots and some of the stuff with the servants and all that jazz that uh, mean those plot. You gotta like blink and miss what's happening with that. Um, it's all in there. I-, I was checking for some of it, but it's like we could have spent maybe like thirty more seconds here, thirty more seconds there, and maybe like just had Holmes arrive and not be. Well, we also don't really ever mm. see him. There's like the one time he's kind of viewed um, when mm-hmm. they're on the moors at night. But other than that, it's just like a gloved hand taking some letters from the post office or whatever. But like, yeah. we never actually see a weird guy like creeping around the moors or whatever. And then it's revealed, oh, that was Holmes. It's just he shows up like, oh, yeah, I was here the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting way that they, they do change that timeline because they include... I'm not totally sure what they're doing with it because they do include footage of him like back at Baker Street, like considering coming to the Moors and like like footage of him taking the train out. But I, I don't know if that's supposed to be like that. The psych out is that that's an earlier in the timeline because he is there the whole time or if they're just trying to mislead us with a bunch of erroneous shots, which feels uncharacteristic for a show that is interested in, in keeping the mystery right. up. Or maybe it's the case that he like went, then went back to do some more research, then came back again. He's just commuting in and out. He and Watson mm-hmm. have shared custody of the mystery. Holmes gets it every other weekend, <laughs> while Watson has main custody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's usually, like, usually these the mystery. mysteries are. Yeah, I do think it's an interesting mystery in that one of the the red herring suspects ends up being Holmes himself. Mm-hmm. In a, and which I think is a really unique mystery thing. Um, but I do think that the, the show, the way that they kind of intercut footage with him, mm-hmm. is it does not really help you figure that out. Because usually they lay in the clues for you to kind of solve the mystery yourself if you, if you truly mm-hmm. want to. And that one feels like it's, it's distracting you just to distract you. But when you think about it, the incontinuity of what's actually happening, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Which is why I feel like we could have maybe cut it or reduce that portion to give a little more time other places. Because I don't... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think it is fine and good and adds to the drama of the unknown in the, in the like, written story when you have all the time to dig into it. But here we kind mm-hmm. of... Weirdly, there wasn't enough time to get into everything, which is a very <laughs> unusual problem for this show to have. Yeah. I do, I do definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know here we have a note that uh, watching the human drama play out, which probably, if we're talking about people and where they are and who's where that might be an apt time to talk about i'm not sure who whose note um, this was well, it's just, i the like mysteries that i grew up with were agatha christie mm-hmm. stuff and mm. a lot of that is just perot or 
what's her bucket? Miss Marple, mm-hmm. uh, being mm-hmm. somewhere and she's like kind of hanging out for most of the story, watching people do their stuff, and then I think she's like, "Hey, I've been watching you all, talking to you all. Here's who did the murder." Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy and where Sherlock Holmes is usually more of a like uh, driving active force trying to solve things as opposed to like letting the clues come to him. So uh, mm-hmm. and so I enjoyed that we had kind of a, a pivot here for this episode of like what's just hanging out, letting folks just be around, saying stuff until eventually, like, they're like, all right, we got all the clues now. Yeah, I think there is something interesting that, like, Holmes, you're right, usually is a driving force in these episodes. He's usually kind of, like, giving live commentary on his theories as they happen. So this one's really interesting in that it really does sit back and let you observe along with Watson and try and gives you, like, a fair chance like, a more than fair chance to solve it on your own before Holmes comes in and just, like, sneaks it out from under you. I, I do feel like this one is more of, like, the the magic trick mystery of, like, the Sherlock Holmes has, unlike ones mm-hmm. where, like, uh, my dad's favorite's the Musgrave ritual, because it's, like, a thing you could actually not necessarily figure out, because there's a lot of geographical mm-hmm. things. But this is one where, like, you watch all of this, and then Holmes shows up and is like, oh, yeah, by the way, they're actually secretly married, and also he was secretly a basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, there are these kind of, like, reveals that mm-hmm. even if you'd been watching, if you're like, mm-hmm. I bet they're actually married in real life. I mean, there is, like, the way he blows up at Baskerville about flirting or, and or kissing on his sister, but... Well, I love I how know, they I, lean I, into that in the book because, like, in in the, mm-hmm. the book, it's literally because Watson's like, she is way too hot to be his sister. This dude sucks. <laughs> and, like, that not only is an amazing, like, character observation from Watson because that's such a funny thing that he decides. He's just like, this dude is a wet blanket. This lady can get it. Um, and, like, not only is that really funny thing for Watson to have said, but it actually is a clue. She is too yeah. hot to be his sister. She's his wife. <laughs> and I just think that's really fun. I do love, like, we made a joke, I think, either in Bruce Partington or the Center Four about how John Watson is an absolute lad a lot of times. <laughs> like, in the episode, he's writing to Holmes, and Holmes is like, just make sure you focus on the important stuff. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, she is so hot. And yeah. I got basketball to invite her over so he could see how hot and she like, was And, like, now they're also. dating. <laughs> oh, my God. He's giving him the hot goss. Like, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, like, I, he's like, now they're kissing. Oh, my God. Holmes, it is getting spicy up here. I think he asked her to go steady. Yeah. Like, she's wearing his Letterman jacket. Her brother caught them necking and, like, freaked out. (laughs) I was standing behind a tree. It was great. (laughs) Like, I love it. I love it. And, and, like, Holmes had to know that he was going to give him that. And Holmes is like, all right, I am interested in the gossip. He knows. (laughs) Actually, Watson, I solved the case weeks ago. I just yeah, wanted to. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of see how this would play out. To be honest, I was really rooting for them. Watson, after you failed so catastrophically earlier, I wanted to let you have a vacation where you can just watch and people have some gossip. Because <laughs> I know that that could be that is the greatest gift to you, Watson. <laughs> EastEnders won't be invented for like a hundred more years, so yeah. I gotta have some oh, kind yeah. of drama. It's it's so fun because it's another thing I love about the two of them is that they both pretend that they're better than petty gossip, but they love nothing more. Like yeah. I, I mean, love the episodes when you can just see that like the person comes in and says something wild and over like their their head they're just like what? Can you believe this guy? And I'm just like yes again goals. I want this relationship in my life. They just get each other. There's um. An episode a while, I can't remember what the context was, but, like, someone had come to mm-hmm. see them, and 
like was I think like Lestrade was like looking through some yeah. Holmes's notes and hadn't realized they were there. So Holmes like shushes Watson and then like like comes in all loudly so that Lestrade like panics and like rearranges things and it's very I'm like having this like cute little moment. It's just so fun. I think it's the six Napoleons where yeah, they come back right. in, but they just like stand in the door watching Lestrade like kind of peeking into one of Holmes's case books and just like looking at each other with these huge grins of like what a They idiot. are sophisticated mystery solvers, but they're also pranksters. <laughs> <laughs> they're messy benches who love drama. And I love that for them. Holmes could solve a lot of things faster if he wasn't like, I need to do an elaborate disguise for about eight yeah. hours for this network. <laughs> I mean, he showed up at the end of uh, the sign of four, disguised as a sea captain, mm-hmm. and just sat in the drawing room of, of um, Baker Street, mm-hmm. disguised as a phlegmatic sea captain, yeah. while, Lister, or while the inspector and Watson said nice things yeah. about him for like 10 He's minutes. He's like, I invested in this gallon jug of spirit wax, and I really need to make it worth it. <laughs> Mike, nice use the word phlegmatic just in a sentence yeah. like that. At a certain point, it's just a dare. <laughs> Mrs. Hudson's going to make me throw out the sea captain costume else I can prove it's useful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. (sighs) I wanted to talk about one thing. I loved the, uh, not the aesthetic, but when we were watching this, Jackson, the phrase I started with was that it weirdly makes me think of like the old He-Man comics Mm. where the world is just like, oh yeah, I was just walking. And then I found a cave with a guy whose fists look like rams or whatever like there's no geography there it's like oh yeah we'll go north to this kingdom or south it's like they just kind of wander on the moor until they find the lepidopterist and his hot wife or (laughs) the astronomer who sues everybody or like there's no like actual geography to the place we kind of honed down to the idea that it's more like a dark fairy tale like watson is into in the woods in this case the moors and like there's a weird animal there and also a a murderer who's just hiding out on a rock. Yeah. Like there's just this weird, like Neverland kind of adventure. It's kind of like an, um, realm. almost like an over the garden wall. Um, if you've seen it, yeah, yes. it's a very like yes. liminal space out on the moors where it's vast and there are people, but like it's so vast, but you still keep meeting odd characters that you're like, do you have a song to sing? What's happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like riddles. Am I answering yeah, your riddles exactly. now? Exactly. Do or? I have to answer your riddles three, or do I have to go through the minefield of quicksand? Like. Why would you live here? Why is there a quicksand? Like, this this does not seem like a good investment in terms of buying land. But all right, good for you, astronomer. Right, like just move. Yeah. Truly, there must be other better places like to live. It seems like there is vast like... quantities of land. Like something you said was like it feels like anything could be mm. out here. Like you could just like keep adding more things to this. Well, it also helps because at no point do I understand how far away they are from safety. Mm. Like. Because there's no signposts or like it's not a town where it's like, oh, there's like I can see Baker Street mm-hmm. or whatever. This is like they're just on the moors and I don't know how far away mm-hmm. they are from the house. So if that dog shows up, like it's not like, oh, quick, we'll just run into the trees. We'll be safe. It's like, no, they could be miles away mm-hmm. from anything. I don't know. I just made it a good like that's what helped me with the like spooky aesthetic is mm-hmm. they were just kind of like I was going to say unmoored, but a different use of the word on the moors. But um I do feel like the quicksand feels like it would be an easier murder weapon than, like, giant glowing dog. I feel like it's like, oh, new neighbor, let me show you around the place. Oh, no, you went into the quicksand. No one's going to be here for five days. Bye-bye. It was a tragic accident. I never saw him again. Like I tried so hard to save him, but I just couldn't. He was going down so fast. I tried fast. so hard, but he just, like, fell into the quicksand. 
I put my foot on his head so he'd grab onto it, and it just somehow made him go <laughs> faster. And so then my boot came off. It was weird. I don't know. I don't it was know. a tragic accident. You will never prove otherwise. Money, please. Money, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, you're right. I think the only flaw there is that you, you need to have a body to make sure that mm. they're dead. Otherwise, you have to like, wait for a long mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great point. Everybody knows if the devil did it, there's no exactly. trial or coroner inquest. So exactly. hey, back then, people were wild. They were just like, I don't know, the devil did it. Seems right. Cause yeah. of death, devil. <laughs> <laughs> Goals, honestly. <laughs> what a legend. Uh, something Holmes says, like, like uh, "Does it worth the setting if the devil did decide to dabble in the affairs of man?" Which is kind of a fun, a fun description. Like, it, they do a lot of work to make this location feel very eldritch, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. That's one thing I like about, to go back to how much I like Jeremy Brett, um, it, about this Holmes is also like, he doesn't believe in magic or that the devil mm-hmm. did it, but sees the value in like, yeah, but they believe that, so I can use that. Like, mm-hmm. I just finished rewatching or rewatching for the first time all of Elementary, and uh, Johnny Lee Miller's a great Holmes, but his thing is like, no, magic's not real, you're an idiot. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, but I like that Jeremy Brett's like, well, probably like uh, Dr. Mortimer. It's like, did you did you find the answer? Yes, I did. Is the hound real? And there's this very long pause, and then just yes, like this very somber, like, and it's like the implication is, and it is the devil, like it's the devil <laughs> as a dog. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's I think that's maybe the other reason I love this is it feels kind of like Sherlock Holmes meets like classic Gothic literature, like meets Ooh, like a, sure. like a Bronte novel, but like meets Scooby Doo. You know, so it's like, it gets yeah. me on the like high This lit, is the usual Scooby-Doo plot. It's like high lit brain loves it, like low brain comedy Scooby-Doo monster also loves it. So it's just operating on all cylinders for me. I mean, when Watson was in an upside down barrel on a skateboard through the moors, <laughs> I was just, it was one of my favorite parts of this movie. Oh my movie. God, that was the only thing that could have made this better is if there was a full on Scooby-Doo chase scene. There's a dog in everything. That little floppy spaniel. Yeah. I loved that dog. <laughs> Mortimer's dog, what a good boy! But yeah, the vibes are amazing out. on this in this movie. I love it. Well, Grant does a great job while Jackson's looking for whatever that is that they're mm-hmm. looking for. They do a great job with gothic. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Copper Beaches was mm-hmm. one we did where it was heavy gothic. Yeah, and, it was and real then like spooky. Speckled Band. Oh God, that is the one that fucks oh, me. Oh my God, up. I was so scared. I, I had to sleep in my mom's bed for so long because I was like, a snake's gonna get me. Well. <laughs> The problem is, I watched it once when I was 16. I was saying it with my sister, and it was on, and we watched it. And I was like, oh, I'm just never, I'm not sleeping mm-hmm. ever again. That's fine. That's what's happening I was happening like, I'm never now. sleeping alone in a bed again. I think I, that was, like, one of the first ones I remember, because my mom used to read me mysteries in bed. And I remember reading mm-hmm. that one and then being like, I'm never sleeping in a bed by myself. We're not turning the lights out. They're going to get me. And I live in Florida. Like, I lived in Florida when I was growing up. So, like, that could have happened to me. You went to bed, and she was like, all right, well, good night. Fish and then just like taps your air the air vent above your bed with a mirror just my mom sure. did that one time and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> because my mom loved to mess with me like that and she's just like i just had to i'm sorry it'll still make you tougher bye <laughs> and thanks, i was like thanks mom. mom i'm sleeping in your bed for the next five years <laughs> now you professionally solve mysteries for exactly yeah, I'm Sherlock Holmes now. Didn't you know? Oh, I was trying to see if uh, Scooby Doo ever did like a Hound of the Basketfuls episode, and they did. Oh, they had to yeah. have. I mean, yeah, uh, it's a it's a werehound. Yes. Who's stealing sheep? That is that is the next level of this. I feel like this, today it would be a werewolf. It wouldn't be like a hellhound. It would be a werewolf fake out. Mm-hmm. That seemed like the easier thing mm-hmm. to go with. I will um, say, Elementary did do a Hound of the Baskervilles. They didn't do a werehound, but. 
I won't spoil it for anybody who wants to see it, but it was very good. Hmm, I'm going to have to check that out. Also, I had Guy from That Thing You Do as um, Sir Henry. Hey! So. It was a good casting, yeah. actually. I think the only thing is, I don't know if werewolves were really like a, a big pop cultural thing back when these were being written. Were they? Like, when did werewolves become a thing? They, I mean, they were around, but like, they were kind of, like, the Wolfman yeah. movies were like really what, what kind of like helped out a lot because like... Yeah, so this would have predated mm-hmm. that, yeah. Because like, there isn't like a, like, classic <laughs> werewolf story the way we have like Dracula for vampires or um, Frankenstein for Frankensteins. Uh, like the closest you have mm-hmm. is like Jacqueline Hyde, which isn't really there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I Jackson, they're the ones who has all the monster knowledge. I have nothing to contribute when it comes to the history <laughs> of monsters. Yeah, that's why I asked. I'm like, I don't know, but maybe someone does. <laughs> well, I um, spent a lot of time reading the boyfriend yeah. book for the. I mean, the monster manual for this episode. Um. <laughs> all right. Speaking of, and then it just ends. Someone. Right. It's like, oh, the um, this episode like. They realize the dog has phosphorus on it. Someone goes, huh, phosphorus. And then we cut to like a 30 second scene at Baker Street and then cut the credits. Like we are out of there fast. They're like in a carriage ready to go out on the town. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's done. That was our long weekend. Yeah, right. I really do think this is literally a long weekend because I remember in the book, it's like he goes up on Saturday and I think they're back by Monday mm-hmm. so that Watson can get back to work because he has another job. <laughs> His real job. This does seem like Holmes is like, well, I really exerted myself. Time to treat us. I'm going to the opera. I want to get dinner. He's like, and then like, we're going to get wasted. Karaoke tonight? I think so. Who left the dogs out? Who? 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 Yeah. I think it truly is just like we were separated for three days and that was unacceptable. We're going to need to spend yeah. every moment in each other's presence for the next week to make up for it. We're going to Marcini's for dinner. We're going to the opera. Manny Petties. Oh, yeah. I'm renting beaches on DVD. (laughs) All of the Lord of the Rings movies. We're doing it. Extended editions. Star Wars machete order. Whole weekend. Let's do it. Oh, my God. To go back to a small little thing from the book. It was like way at the beginning, but I really Mm love this detail. Um, in this, they, they have Watson coming back at the beginning and the room is filled with smoke and Holmes deduces that he's at the club. And in the book, they have the detail that Holmes in the morning when they have the meeting afterwards, he's just like, I'm going to need all day to be by myself and think. And then you can come back tonight. So I just like immediately had the picture of just like Watson being banished to like a Starbucks all day. I'm just like, yeah, no, my, um... My best friend said I can't hang out in our home that I also pay rent on so that he could sit in silence and look at maps. And I just could not stop thinking about that. Just him playing solitaire in a lonely little Starbucks on a corner. Holmes even says, like, like I never went to the club because you don't really have any friends, so that's where you have to have been. No, he has no other friends. Watson's a loser, and I love when people <laughs> lean into that. Like, I don't like when adaptations are like, oh, Holmes is the lame one that only has Watson as a friend. Watson also doesn't have any other friends. Like, that's okay. (laughs) They are losers together, and that's what makes it beautiful. I do like whenever Holmes is like, this is a three-pipe problem, which means do not speak to me for 50 minutes. (laughs) Like, I don't care what you do. It's quiet, and it's not me. Yeah. I'm just going to sit in our living room and smoke a pipe silently for 50 minutes. That is a lot. I'm going to consume two whole pots of coffee. And drink like five pots of coffee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he would, in modern day, I fully believe that Sherlock Holmes would be like Red Bull constantly. Mm -hmm. It would not be cocaine. It would be like Red Bull directly into the veins. Like Nas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Nas. (laughs) Like he would just be like, do it. 
I'm never sleeping again. <laughs> That's what cocaine's for. I had my eyelids surgically removed yeah, exactly. so I could not sleep. <laughs> yeah, like you would. Even when I sleep, I will actual project so I can read more things about tobacco ash. Yeah! <laughs> You know, Holmes would definitely, if it was modern day, he would 100% would teach himself how to lucid dream so he could study while he was dreaming. Yes, 100%. And it would like be like 90% teach him how to study while dreaming, and then the other 10% would be, I want to dream about people saying nice things to me about how smart I am. Like, just so like I can also get nice things said to me in the night. Holmes definitely does go to like, once it may become a thing, uh, theatrical adaptions of John Watson's work to like watch... Uh, people go, ooh, look how impressive that was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, oh, God, I just love him. I think that it's it's interesting because this, well, the book was written chronologically, like, this is after the Reichenbach fall. Like, he wrote this during the, mm-hmm. uh, the hiatus. So it is interesting to watch, like, I always think it's really interesting on a meta level to read the, the Conan Doyle books and see the moments where he's like, I hate Sherlock Holmes because, and like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make these right, these readers hate him too. Look at him deliver this sick burn at Watson. <laughs> and everyone's like, that's hilarious. Their friendship seems great. It just backfires at every turn. <laughs> or it's like, yeah. he's going to never sleep and drink five pots of coffee. And everyone's like, that seems super relatable to me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, millennials. Like, every turn, I love him more. Like, every <laughs> shitty thing he does, I'm like, amazing. He's an icon. I love him. I do love the books where you could, like, the stories where you could tell Doyle realized at, like, 4 p.m. on a Friday he had a draft due. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. Uh, somebody <laughs> s- stole a trumpet. Um, what's, we're going to just, like, talk, inter- interview, like, interview three people, and Holmes is going to realize. A bird did it and done, and just like send it off. The stories that are just that wild were clearly he does not care, yeah. and it's most of the stories leading up to the final problem yeah. that are the most like I think like redheaded league is not that's early. That one is one where it's just like, yeah, I wrote in a, I just sat in a room and wrote. Oh, cool. Let's go to a different store across the street. Well, I've solved it. Yep, I did it. I mean, even stuff like speckled band, which I love, is just like, what if like mm-hmm. um, fuck, uh, a snake did it. Yeah. Just throwing it out there, like <laughs> just animals at this point, and then it's like, okay, how do the Baskervilles? Um, big dog, dog. I'm thinking dog, <laughs> D- right? Dog scary. Dogs are scary, right? If they, well, if they're the size of a bear, they're scary. Like I'm scared of dogs. I went to Dartmoor and was like, I would never want to live here. Let's find someone who makes that really like <laughs> their mission statement. Yeah, I took a weekend to Dartmoor. It seemed like it sucked. So I'm going to write a murder or about how much it sucks to live here. I will say both the story and the episode do a good job of like selling you this atmosphere, like this place that you're living mm-hmm. in, all the crags and the mist and the mm-hmm. rocks and the paths mm-hmm. and stuff. Good job. Good job on all fronts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Visually, it's very good. I mean, and I, don't, I know the story probably has more descriptions of the landscape. Mm-hmm. Visually, but... all good apart from the those dog effects. <laughs> I loved the glowy dog. The, it was so dumb, but I loved it so much. You look like he had like racing stripes and glow tape on him. <laughs> like it was just really fun. I loved it. I thought it was so endearing. Mm-hmm. Also, like that dog was just like, "Am I doing good?" And you're like, "Oh, a vicious animal." Because <laughs> you know that, <laughs> which like, is something I love. They only use like the nicest dogs for those kind of scenes to make sure that they're gonna be fine. Yeah, it's. I love dog actors. I I hate that we're using so much CGI these days because I'm just like, no, there are amazing dog actors, and you can always tell like their tails are wagging even though they're angry, and I just like that brings me so much comfort. Mm. I love that that so much. 
I did hear though on the set they had a problem with the dog. They couldn't stop it from playing basketball. <laughs> I like they tried. They tried, but it just wouldn't stop playing basketball. <laughs> it was made. Get him some Air Jordans and call it a day. Let's do this. <laughs> Somebody was like, this in 10 years, or whatever, 10 years, in like 30 years, yeah. this is going to be a hit yep. movie. Oh, man. That's a great film. Uh, it sounds like we're probably moving on towards uh, sort of monographs. Yeah. For, uh, yeah, yeah. I think we've been moving on to, towards monographs yes. for about 20 minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. The only monograph I have for this one was I spent at Jacksonville Test an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out who the actor who played Henry Baskerville was because I was positive I had seen him in something. And eventually it was like, oh, he was in some Matlocks and a couple murder shirts. And I just kind of had to be satisfied with that because I couldn't I didn't recognize anything else. Okay, so... That actor is married to Anna Gunn on Breaking from from Breaking Bad. Oh wow! Right, so in okay. real life, like he's a Scottish actor. He's married to Anna Gunn from Breaking Bad, but also he looks exactly like the actor who Anna Gunn's character on Breaking Bad has an affair with in like season three. It is baffling to me, and it's I just think it's it's the straight because I was convinced it was the same actor. I was like, that's the actor that Anna Gunn has an affair with no it's just a dude who looks exactly the same who she happens to be married to it's really weird he's a great he does a great he looks like he would be in a lot more though mm-hmm. he's uh i was positive he was a felix lighter in some yeah. Bond film but he was oh, not yeah. I, just, I think I, I remember him being a cop in something but yeah. again he was one of those guys where once i found oh he's in some matlock episodes and some murder shared episodes i just like i'm sure that's it yeah. i'm not gonna go any deeper yeah like a lot of the stuff is like L list horror and action mm-hmm. flicks instead of like mm-hmm. you know good periodons which he's clearly good at so I don't know what happened there. A lot of these actors look very similar, but it's like every once in a while, like I'm always convinced that it's like these are big people, and like fifty percent of the time they are. Like that time that I don't know if you've gotten to I don't know which episode this is, but like Jude Law's on an episode. Sure. What? Yeah. Of this series, I think actually I think I've heard that. I think at mm. the end, as we get to like the nineties. Um, as it's we're like near the end of the series, I think I Jude do Law. recall. Oh my, my mom like was watching it one night and she was like, Lauren, come in here. Do you know who that is? <laughs> and I was like, I do not know because he's almost unrecognizable because he is such an infant. Oh like he God. just he's like maybe like 16 years old, he looks like. And yeah, it's like like the, one of the first things that Jude Law ever did was was do an episode of this. Wow. Yeah. So keep an eye out. He'll be there. I'm very excited for um, my first boss yeah. uh, to show up in yeah. the show. I know. Look at that. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of the actors are, and then I think the guy that plays Stapleton was on Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, so he plays, uh, Sam Tarly's dad on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he had a great career after just like swallowing all that dirt that he did (laughs) in the end of it. I felt so bad for him. Real pro. A real pro, that guy. I wonder if they, like... How they achieved that? Like, what substance was that he was gulping down? Like, I had a guess maybe they had, like, just a bunch of, like, water and coffee grounds or something, but... It, I would hope. It can't have been good. But also, like, this was, like, the, was it the 80s? That's like, true. It's 88, I think. 88, so, like... Like, ITV in the 80s, yeah, that could have just been um actual mire. I think that they... I think it very possibly could could have been, like, a... You were not supposed to do that. You were not supposed to open your mouth and let the dirt in. And it was like the last take. And he's like, no, I'm really in it. I'm going to, I just, can you let me try something just once now that we know we have a solid take? And they were like, yeah, sure. And then behind the camera, they're just like, this dude's insane. (laughs) 
he's really going for it. <laughs> he's been like, I want to eat the dirt. Yeah. No, we're not going to let you eat the dirt. Like, no, but I want to. Yeah. Like, no, just do the take. And so he did the old Adam West trick. Yeah. Famously, Burt Ward tells yeah. a story of how Adam West fuck up takes until it was like, whatever happens in this take, we have to do it. And then he'd put in the joke he wanted to do. <laughs> uh, there's one where Robin is commenting, oh, a Batgirl's very pretty. And Adam West fucked up the take until his last one. And he put, well, Robin, you are entering the full thrust of your manhood or your youth or something oh like gosh. that. Like some dirty joke. But he, I wonder if this guy did the same thing. They were like, no, stop trying to eat the dirt. And yeah. so he just <laughs> fucked it up until it was like, we have to use this take no matter what. I and feel then, like if someone <laughs> eats dirt on screen, you have to use the take in solid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? I feel like he showed up and he was like, I can't believe I'm going to have to eat dirt today. And they're like, you don't have to do that. He's like, no, I'm gonna. <laughs> Just so clear, we uh, we're gonna have you eaten by the dog. You chose to go in the in the, in the dirt sucky thing. Yeah, like just like okay, as long as you know that like you did this. He, he showed up with that pre-tape. He's like, look, I know the script says I'm just gonna disappear, but I actually shot some footage last night. Uh, we could... Oh my god, that was so funny! I did this on my own time. You don't have to use it, but I liked it. But also, the lawyers Personal. show up for it. It's all me. No, yeah, no, it just, this, this is personal to me. I had to do it. Uh, I see a couple other quotes here in the monographs mm-hmm. that um, people were enjoying. Uh, I, mine is, um, I love the moment when they find Holmes at the little encampment that he's staying at mm-hmm. and he yes. offers Watson a meal. This is my favorite moment of the entire episode. I love it so much. So good. Um, and he, he gives Watson a plate of stew. First of all, a plate? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Holmes doesn't eat people food. He doesn't know. Yeah, he does not cook. And you can see why. And it is uh, grayish brown, clearly cold and starting to congeal. And then it's like, Watson, eat some. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. I made it. Eat it. So excited to have for Watson to eat his food. Like, Jerry Brett's like, oh, he's going to like it. He's going to like it. He's going to be so proud of me. Are you proud of me? You love everything else I do. So you must love this, right? (laughs) Um, but it also there's a level that Jeremy Brett has to it where I think you could also take the interpretation that he knows it's terrible. He's just <laughs> testing to see if Watson would do it for him. Will Watson eat dirt uh-huh. for me? Yeah, it's like the thing, if you've ever seen Popstar, there's like a scene where he's trying to figure out if his friends are like just hyping him up and like would actually, wouldn't actually do it. And so he puts like poop into these pancakes that he makes for them <laughs> to see which one will like actually say something. And all of them are just like eating these poop pancakes. <laughs> and I feel like maybe that's the test is like, would you tell me the truth if it's terrible? Would you, Watson? <laughs> because then compliments matter more if I know that you won't lie to me. Mm. Um, and then of course he passes the test and he just goes Holmes this is horrible <laughs> and Holmes is amazing pop star never stop never stopping genius film very good um, oh and yeah God. and he says Holmes this is horrible that's interesting please Watson it's quite disgusting Holmes Yes, it is. Well, it's better when it's hot. And it's like, is it? Is it, though? For my interpretation, it was Holmes being like, yeah, it is. This is a sad life I've been living for three days. Like, like the way he says that is just kind of like, he wanted Watson to eat it to prove that it wasn't as sad as he thought. Aww. Like, no, I could do that. But then Watson's like, no, this is gross. He's like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's 
like when you're significant, like when you've been staying alone for like two weeks while your significant <clears throat> other's away and then they come home and they're like, this is how you live. And you're like, oh, I hope you weren't going to say that. But yeah, this is how I live when you're gone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so sorry you have to see this part of me. <laughs> Incredibly unrelatable. I clean meticulously, but yes. Oh no, I'm just always like, yo, gosh, I try, but then I'm like, you're going to find that corner where I put everything. Mm. I have six clothes clothes chairs that I just am like, I don't know, what's a hamper? Mm. Fuck it. A chair. I'm, it's impressive they make it to a chair. Yeah. And then Ian comes home and is like, what, how do you live like this? Uh, Jackson, I see you have a quote here as well that you were... Uh, that's not me. Oh. Do we have a mystery? Most Maybe that's left over from yes, the last that was, time. Yes, that, um, that was about um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Watson from... Sign yeah, Mary yeah. Morstan. Okay. Mm. Then uh, is the haunting of Hill House yes. also um, irrelevant? So or? in this episode, we have uh, these two <clears throat> old servants who have been here since forever, and they and before then it was their parents, and uh, they have a dark <clears throat> secret in this big old spooky haunted house, and I'm like, oh, they're the Dursleys from Haunting of Hill House. Uh, Shirley Jackson's mm. clearly pulling from this for uh, the best horror novel ever written. Um, Hmm. And I, I know it, it warmed, my, warmed my heart to see that, like, influence in there. I love that. Hmm. Yeah, that subplot is pretty wild, too. Hmm. The I always forget that subplot for some reason, that, like, every time I watch this, I'm just like, oh, that's right, there's a murderer on the loose? Just around. And <laughs> not an assassin, <laughs> as that synopsis lobotomy? would lead you to believe. Hmm. Yeah, until they mention the lobotomy, up to that point, they're like, he's harmless, we promise. He was just, like, so pathetic. And you're like, he murdered a family. <laughs> a family. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's fine. He deserves compassion. I'm like, I don't know. Does <laughs> like, he? he? He probably, I will say, there is a thing um, in this story where, like, you got uh, this murderer, that guy, the um, the, the escaped assassin, as he has mm-hmm. <laughs> called him, and, the, um, and then Sableton himself. And mm-hmm. both of those problems are kind of solved for us, like by mm-hmm. Sableton's dog and then by the moor. So they're, so mm-hmm. now that Holmes or Watson has to like dispense with these dangerous characters, uh, which I think is yeah. kind of some, some narrative causality happening there. Yeah, they don't, and they don't have to make like the necessarily the ethical call about like should we turn this guy in? Should we let this murderer free? Mm-hmm. Just kind of like neatly takes care of itself before they have to involve the authorities. Mm-hmm. I kind of just feel like Arthur Conan Doyle maybe could have had him maybe be a runaway for, like, a less serious crime, you know? And we would have been, like, if it's, like, you know, Jean Valjean situation, yeah. you know? <laughs> we are just like, he, he was a thief or something. Mm-hmm. Or he killed, like, one person in self-defense. I don't know. But instead, it's like, he murdered children. <laughs> and you're like... With such savagery, they deemed him insane. I know! It's just... Like, that's legitimately a line in the... He murdered a family savagely. Yeah. I was like, eh, he's probably It's fine. like when you're, those reports that are going around that are like, oh, there's the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie where, like, Leatherface has settled down and is trying to live a normal life. And you're like, Leatherface? Wait. Yeah, Leatherface. <laughs> is that real? I can I do not know if it's real. Okay. I have to believe that. I have to believe that it's fake. Okay. But, like, imagine. But that's what it feels like, is, like, if that was true, that's kind of what this feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Like, if that rumor was true, which maybe it will be. I don't know. Maybe when people listen to this, it'll be confirmed. But, like, <laughs> can you imagine, like, Leatherface just trying to live his life? His name is, like, Jeremy now. Going to get, like, Leatherfacials <laughs> with uh, his friends. 
at the Manny <gasps> Patty store. Oh, oh my god, leather facials. I'm so sorry. Get the fuck that. out of here. Am I allowed to say fuck? Yeah, you're fine. Okay, I was you're like, fine. can I say fuck? Lauren's the co-host now. Get out. Get out of here. All right, bye. Enjoy, Lauren. Thank you. Well, if that is all of the monographs, we have only one job less ahead of us, and that is to decide the season four champion of Must Clash. Now, currently, the reigning champion from episode one, The Devil's Foot, is Dr. Leon Sterndale. I almost said Sternshelf. <laughs> The absolute shelf of Dr. Leon Sterndale. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this episode, I'll post in the chat the, the page for this episode that has everybody. Oof. All right. And also, I'll repost for Lauren. The second link here is going to be Great. Dr. Leon Sterndale. Fantastic. My one, the picture on the website we use for this, the image for Sir Charles the first basketball who gets killed one he's got some real kind of um king of bohemia facial hair going but also this picture is just it's straight on he's got a cigar there's some smoke coming off it it's a good shot it is an amazing Um, shot this is absolutely the like the the cigarette smoking man from uh uh x-files if this was set in like a century before I think it's also interesting because it kind of looks like the 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 smoke from the cigar mm-hmm. is creating like a curly cue effect that is accentuating the mustache mm-hmm. part of the facial hair in a really cool way. I really thought for a second when I first pulled this picture up that that side of his mustache was just much bushier Me than the too. other. Me too. But it's just a really impressive placement on that smoke. He really he really made it work for him. Mm-hmm. Also, it's kind of, it's a very, like, ghostly beard because of how, like, white it all is, which I think adds to the, like, spooky Halloween-y vibe of this episode. Yeah, he also does look like a rich man. He's like, oh, this is a Monopoly man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Of the Darmore Monopolies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're familiar, right? We all know. So how does he compare to the absolute shelf of Dr. Leon This is tough. I mean, we have we have had uh, midnight upsets before. Famously, season two, Mr. Malos was upset at the final hour by the museum curator in yeah. the final problem. I so. I am so impressed with Sterndale's just like the volume is mm-hmm. is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Along the edges yeah. too, they're like where the where it goes down the cheek line is also just a deep plunge to his jaw, and then yeah, and and like also I think both photos that you've sent are both very. Like very stately photos, mm-hmm. but like the, like Sterndale's looks like he could be on a magazine cover, you know. It does feel like if you this is actually his Tinder profile picture. Yeah, it does feel like if you like if he like aims his chin at the right angle, you could like fire a bullet at his chin and it would bounce off the the hair, <laughs> <laughs> or it would get caught in there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. catch it mm-hmm. for later use. I do love a set of mutton chops, though. Mm. I don't know. There's something about the. Did you have like did did uh, the did Bill Gravia did he win the King of Bohemia? Bohemia sorry, yes. I'm thinking yes, of other shows. He, he won season one. He won. He did win season one. No one was able to come to mm-hmm. except to Wolf Kaler's. Trying to think of like mutton chops. And... On average, have your winners been mutton chop winners, mustache winners, or full beard winners? I'm also looking at variety. It varies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll um, say we are looking at must clash, and I think that while Leon Sterndale is like very impressive the mustache itself is only part of the larger thing and that is a great point whereas i think that if we're looking at, if we're cutting off everything but the mustache uh 
Sir Charles has more of an impressive mustache. The original impetus of musclash, I mean, we call it musclash because of the pun. It really is just the best Mm. facial hair. Mm -hmm. So we don't, I mean, you are correct. He has a a weaker mustache than um, Sir Charles. Sir Charles has no beard. Um, I will say we've had the King of Bohemia at this point, then the museum curator and final problem was really just, he had kind of like a pointy mustache, but the whole thing was he was balding. He was just kind of a portly fellow. It was the whole was look contributed look. to the mustache winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, season three was, oh, I don't remember his name, but he was in the six Napoleons. He ran the museum where mm. uh, they moved some of the things. He had a sort of like munchkin man, like little mustache mm. here, a little pointy beard. Uh, so it varies from season to season. There's not really a standard look that carries the day. Um, in this case, this would be the first sort of repetition if it's Sir Charles with the mutton chops. But hmm. I'm going to press you both for a vote. And then if we need to, I'll okay. vote for the tiebreaker. Okay. Jackson. I'm not quite sure why, but I'm just, I'm feeling uh, uh, Sir Charles. Just okay. some tiny little thing. Lauren. I think purely because he looks more like a cartoon character and because the facial hair seems to be more of the thing rather than the whole look, I'm going to have to go with Sir mm-hmm. Charles as well. Because All I think right. that like the smoke then, is part of it. Yes. And I think that that, that, that pushes it over the line for me. Mm-hmm. I, I generally agree with you for posterity and because of his place as a all he ran the season, I'm going to vote for Dr. Leon Sterndale just to give him one point mm-hmm. on the board. Good for him. But with that, the winner of season four of Musclash moving into the Hall of Champions is Sir Charles Baskerville. Uh, he will face and Dr. off. Leon Sterndale's mustache will bury itself in central Africa. <laughs> God. God damn it. How long have you been holding that one? <laughs> uh, an hour and 12 minutes. Fair enough. Well, then, with Musclash over and the new season not yet to start, we'll come at you here next time with a bonus episode. But first, Lauren, where can the people find you online? Uh, plugs, anything like that you want to get? Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lauren underscore Grace underscore T. Super unoriginal uh, Twitter handle right there. Um, you can also find our show, Not Another Film Podcast, on um anywhere you listen to podcasts we're a nostalgia based podcast we look at the movies that you used to love as kids and we re-examine them as adults in the the what we call the harsh and sobering light of 2021 or soon to be 2022 and i think we are at film another on instagram and twitter although we don't post very much on twitter shamefully um and then we are very active on twitter for uh the vanishing act which is my scripted uh, series. We are airing our second season right now, which is Christmas themed and it's, uh, it's, it's periodically good. a musical. Uh, so it's a full cast, fully designed audio drama that was pretty much been what we've been working on all quarantine. And uh, it's a 1930s comedy. Uh, it's very silly. <laughs> and uh, it's very good. And we, uh, I'll say we're on. very proud of how it's how it's turned out. And uh, yeah, and soon it'll be it'll be all available to binge. So you can find us at Vanishing Pod on all socials or on our website, vanishingpod.com. Well, then uh, next time, Jackson and I haven't decided what we're going for the bonus episode. So I think stay you already teased and... it earlier. I think you should do that three person Sherlock Holmes Hound of the Baskervilles. Hmm. We will we'll discuss and, and either say yes or no and edit it around. That's so true. It yeah. Says the person not editing the episode. That's a good idea, Lauren. Or, I don't know, that's a little bit too much Hand of the Baskervilles in a row. That is true. We'll edit whichever we need. That is true. Edit this however you'd like. Use Excellent. your magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> then we'll be back at you next time with our new bonus episode. Possibly that, possibly something else. We've ta- we have some ideas in mind. 
Uh, but until next time, Lauren, would you like to do our sign off? We say rare to meet that go. Uh, yeah, it's from the dancing men where they're solving the last message and it's prepare to meet thy God, but they rush out of the room because the oh. chalkboard says rare to meet thy go. Oh, because it's prepare mm-hmm. to meet thy God. Yeah. Rare to meet thy go. Oh, love that.